Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, striving to be better every day through open-minded conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. This episode's gonna be a little different than usual. Today, I'm sharing a recording of a talk that I gave at a local church conference a couple weeks ago. This conference was a gathering of church leaders from around the Midwest seeking to discuss how Christians can engage with and navigate the culture around us. An entire morning of the conference was dedicated to the topic of education. Now, there were three talks from three different speakers on this morning, one of which was me. The first two talks had to do with the importance of helping our children develop a biblical worldview and how parents can be actively involved in that process. My talk had to do with a different aspect of education in our culture, and that is public schools. The title of the presentation that I gave is, Should Christians Give Up on Public Education? And by that I mean, should the church, broadly speaking, seek to uphold the public school model or abandon it altogether in the interest of building alternative models of education? The purpose of this talk is to open up a conversation about how Christians in particular should regard public education from a biblical perspective. During the conversation, we get into the history and origins of American public education. We get into the philosophical framework that undergirds the public school model. And we compare that model to God's design for education found in scripture. After the talk, you'll hear a Q&A panel discussion that includes all the speakers from that morning. I sincerely hope you enjoy this episode, and I'd especially love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to reach out to me with any thoughts or feedback you might have. My email's down in the show notes. Also, if you're interested, I've provided a link to the slides from my presentation down in the show notes as well. I want to thank you all again for listening and for those of you that have subscribed to the podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please consider doing so. We greatly appreciate your support. Okay, let's get right into it. That was excellent. Daniel, where's Daniel? He's coming up here, okay. This guy is like our missionary in the public school system, so I'm looking forward to hearing what he's gonna talk about, so yes. Thank you, yes. Good morning, everyone. Oh, slam. I'm normally just used to yelling over a bunch of teenagers, but I have a microphone now, so I don't have to yell. Sorry, bad joke. Um, All right. I have um, something I want us to talk about today that relates to this topic of raising our kids in the church, um, education and all of that. And I wanna look at this question here, which is should Christians give up 
on public education. And now there's a lot of different ways you could interpret that question. And there's a lot of different ways you could answer that question. So as we get into this, I wanna try to define what do I mean by give up? What do I mean by public education? What do I mean by Christian? And then I wanna look at scripture and see, okay, what does this look like more of on a broader scale? So I'm not necessarily speaking to individuals. I wanna have a conversation about what should Christians, should the church, capital C, what should we do about public education specifically in this nation? So uh, before we get into that, just a little bit about myself. Oh, sweet. Um, I am a teacher. I teach in public school. So this is kind of interesting. I'm talking about public school. I'm a Christian and I, I teach chemistry. I teach freshman science. I teach here um, in Kirksville. Um, but I didn't grow up in public school. I went to Life Church School, which is the school that is now in this building. We talk about raising up Daniels in the house. And it's like, hey, that's me. I'm Daniel and I'm in the house. You guys did it. Good job. <laughs> there you go. I guess it can work. Um, Sorry, I had to. So uh, graduated from here, um, massive class of five graduates, um, Life Church School. But then I went to Truman, uh, got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree because I wanted to teach and I absolutely love teaching. I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about wanting to learn and figure out what is God's design for education because my desire as a Christian, as a disciple, as a Daniel, quote unquote, is to walk in God's ways and not to come up with my own genius ideas and reforms for education. I want to do it God's way because I think God has a better idea than I do. And so I teach in uh, Kirksville, but I also have the opportunity. There's a program called Upward Bound, which is a summer program here where I get to teach kids from around this area. So not only am I teaching in the public school here, but I have um, touch points with kids from if you could drive an hour radius around Kirksville they, some of them come for a summer program. So um, lots of kids and I, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Okay, so let's, let's get into our question here, okay? So should Christians uphold or abandon the public school model? Okay, well, in order to answer that question, there's some other questions I wanna answer first. Okay, so in order to have a clear conversation here, we need to define, okay, well, what do we mean by public education? There's a lot of components and facets and variation to what that is. I wanna define that so we can have a clear conversation. I also want to take a look at the history of public education in our country, okay? I'm not gonna give you a whole uh, dissertation on that. I don't have that much time and I don't have that much knowledge on it, but I just wanna talk about the origins because I think the origins of public education gives us a sense of where did it start? It gives us a sense of the trajectory that it's been on for the last 180 years and helps us make sense of where it is now. Um, I think it's fair to say that public education is collapsing in our nation. I don't think, uh, K-12, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that word collapsing in a lot of ways. Um, and so the question is, well, what should we do about that as the church? Do we try to revive it and prop it back up and get in there? Or do we just need to move on and build something else? But then ultimately we need to ask, well, okay, what does the Bible say? What is God's design for education? And how does that inform our conversation? So by answering those questions, I think we can go back to the first one and ultimately answer, get an idea of, okay, what should we be doing about education, okay? So let's jump right in here, okay? So we're gonna start with a brief brief introduction. What is public education and where did it come from, okay? I'm, I'm afraid, oh, it is gonna come up piece by piece, okay? There's four things that I'm gonna use to define what I mean by public education. So when I say public education, the first thing I mean is that it's an education system that is government funded, right? Anyone know where 
the funding for public education comes from? You guys, you pay for it with local property taxes. Um, and, and the purpose of that is that it's free. You can enroll, you can go there, uh, supplies free of charge, lunch free of charge, transportation free of charge. It's government funded. That is a key at, uh, aspect of what makes it public education. And if you know if it's government funded, it's government regulated. And so they get to set the rules, they decide the standards, they decide the curriculum and all of that. Um, we've got local school boards, state legislature, federal law, all of these levels of government are involved in regulating what public education is and what it does. And so the idea here is that we're at a point in our nation where it's intended for all citizens. If you are born in the United States, the general rule is that it's just assumed that you're gonna go to a public school and hopefully get a high school diploma from a public institution in your neighborhood. We, if you, you know, I went to a church school, if you homeschool, those are the weird kids. Those are the weird families that do that. It's just expected that this is, this is for all citizens, this is for the whole country. And the last thing I'll mention is that if you, if you ask, oops, is there another one? There, oops, hold on, there we go. If you ask 100 different people, what's the purpose of education? You probably get 100 different answers. But a common idea, at least in our nation, talking to lots of people, is this idea of, well, we need to have informed, educated citizens for our democracy. We, we live in a democratic republic of the United States. We need informed citizens who can have knowledge and ha know how to have debates, and they can go out and they can vote and they can get jobs, and we need to make citizens so our nation can be successful and thriving and all of that. And so this idea of citizen-making is a core purpose of the public education system. So I'm listing these things so that when we're talking about public education for this conversation, this is what I'm talking about. It's government funded, government regulated, and it's just kind of assumed that everyone in the country is supposed to go through this system for the sake of having a su successful nation, okay? As we have this conversation, I want us to keep this idea in mind. Education systems reflect and uphold the values of the culture in which they exist. So we're having a conversation about education here, but I want us to keep in our mind, in the back of our mind, maybe in the front of your minds, that education systems don't exist in a vacuum. When you see something happening in public schools, when you see something happening in um, uh, your local school or broadly, that is a reflection of what the culture is doing. So if you're concerned about public education, if you see a collapse of public education, well, that's reflecting what's going on in our culture. That means our culture is doing something crazy. That means our culture might be collapsing in certain ways. And so we need to keep in mind that the, those two things are intimately connected. The education system, especially a public education system, doesn't operate disconnected from the culture around it. And so, and so I want us to keep that in mind. Okay, so when we talk about educational systems, I wanna talk about the philosophy and the worldview. Okay, Tony likes to talk about worldview. David talked about worldview. If I were to ask you, what is your educational worldview? Okay, well, I don't even know how to answer that question. In order to answer that question, there's really only three or four questions you need to consider, and the way you answer those three or four questions will determine what you believe about education. Okay, so let me show you a list here, okay? Key values that inform your worldview of education. What is the nature of truth? What you believe about truth will directly impact, okay, well, what are kids supposed to be learning in their education? 
if my, my belief about truth will affect what I think kids need to learn. We're going to talk about this. Another key uh, subcategory of your worldview that filters into your educational worldview is, well, what is the nature of the learner? And what I mean by that is, what is the nature of humans? Are we inherently good? Are we inherently evil? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? All of that is going to factor into, well, how do I treat these kids? How do I educate them? How do they learn? How do I discipline them? Do I discipline them? All of that kind of goes back to how you answer that question. And so from those, that then factors into, well, what's the purpose of education? And then what is the nature of education? What is this education system like? Do I have kids sit in rows? Do I let them lead and I follow? Am I a teacher or am I just a facilitator? Right, all of that stuff kind of falls from what is truth, what is the nature of man, and what is the purpose of education? So let's go to the beginning, okay? Let's go to the beginning of public education. We're gonna talk about this guy right here. Any historians in the room know who this is? Know who I'm gonna talk about? Shalene's really excited. Who is this? Horace this is Horace Mann. He's a guy, or he was a guy. Um, he, he, he uh, did a lot of work in Massachusetts in the 1800s. Um, he is regarded as the father of American education. He was like the, the public education system we have today, government funded, government regulated, citizen making, those key ideas can be traced all the way back to him. Obviously, he's not the only player in this story. He's not the only one who has helped develop what we have today, but most historians, you can trace it back to him, his ideas, his advocacy for what he advocated for in Massachusetts was eventually adopted by the rest of the nation over subsequent, uh, subsequent decades after him. So I just wanna talk about him. What was his idea of education? What was he trying to create? What was he trying to do? Because he made major changes and major reforms. Well, if you ask him, he would say, I want a Christian educational system. He literally said that. I want a Christian educational system. We do not have a Christian educational system with these Puritans. The Puritans, in his view, were a sect of Christianity. They weren't, I don't know, orthodox or like mainline Christians. He wanted to fulfill and realize a vision of education that aligned with Protestant values. Protestant Christianity, right? We're Protestant Christians, right? Sounds like a good idea. I want a Protestant Christian educational system. I want my kids to be Protestant Christians. Seems like he's, he's heading in a good direction. Well, let's, let's kind of get a little more specific. Let's look at the details of what he meant by Christian, and then let's compare that with scripture and see if this really lines up, okay? So the questions that were on the last slide, what is truth, what is the nature of learner, purpose and nature of education? Let's ask him those questions and see what he says. Okay? If you were to ask Hor Horace Mann, well, what is, what's the nature of truth? What do you believe about truth? Well, he would say, truth exists. There is truth. Okay? But we need reason and logic and education in order to understand and discover that truth. Okay? Tony talked about modernism earlier. This is that idea. There is truth, but I need logic and reason and education in order to get to that truth and to realize that truth and enact that truth in, in the world around me. And then if you would ask him, okay, well, can humans do that on their own? What are humans like inherently? He would say that man is inherently good. 
This was a core belief that he had. He believed in this idea of the perfectibility of man, perfectibility of man, contrasted with what the Puritans believed, the depravity of man that were born sinners. He says, no, 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 we're perfectible. If a person grows up, they fall into crime, they fall into vice or poverty, or if we have any negative outcomes with individuals or people in our culture, it's because they weren't educated right. It's because their parents didn't use the right parenting techniques. Um, and if we could just have the right educational system and teach the right things, we could have a perfect society. And this is where logic and reason comes in. If I can just educate you and just tell you the right things and get you to believe the right stuff, then we can turn out all right and our nation will be a great United States. Okay, get away from that Calvinism, Puritan, whatever, you know. So this, is, this, is, this was his vision. And so man is perfectible and if, and if there's negative outcomes, it's because of his upbringing, the experiences are, is what makes us bad, so to speak, okay? So then what's the purpose of education? Well, if, if I'm born and I am perfectible by nature, then I'm not responsible for my outcome. Education is a right because I depend on you educating me so that I turn out okay, right? If my experiences determine how I turn out as an adult, then you owe it to me to educate me properly so that I turn out properly. So now education is a human right. The state, the commonwealth, as it was previously referred, owes it to the citizens to educate them so that we can have a successful nation. If we have crime, poverty, social issues, social um, unrest and stuff like that, well, it's because the state is doing something wrong. We're not educating right. It's this idea of moralism that we can create and instill moral values through education, through reason and logic. And so then the purpose of this, the purpose of education is to have a free nation. And by free, we mean free from government overreach, free from tyranny, free to have a good job, free to make your own decisions. It's libertarianism. This is what Christianity was for him, essentially. The point of scripture, the point of truth is to be libertarian. And I don't know if he literally used that term, but that's basically how we can interpret his vision. He called this Christian. He was convinced. This is interesting. So what are the major shifts? So the major shifts pre-Horace Mann to post-Horace Mann is that we go from this idea of the depravity of man to the perfectibility of man. And this is instilled into the educational system, okay? The purpose of education is not to grow up and serve God and learn about his creation and learn about his ways and his commands. No, it's so I can go up and create a great society. My responsibility is to the culture, the commonwealth as it's called. So now, instead of local communities having small schools with local teachers and the kids going in, they learn how to read, they learn how to write, all that good stuff. Well if the state owes the education to the citizens, well, then they need to provide that education and they need to be in control of it. We need to get rid of all these local schools that the individual communities have created and we need to have state-provided, state-funded, state-regulated education so that we can raise up and make this perfect nation that, that Horace Mann is trying to tell us about. And so one thing that 
naturally falls from that is that instead of God's truth being the standard by which we educate, it's whatever the state needs. We need more coders. We need more engineers. We have an addiction problem. We have this problem. We have a sex problem with our teenagers. We need to get these sex programs and we need to do this. We need to do this. So now the state, the consent of the people is what's determining what education looks like as opposed to God's truth. It sounds so democratic and free, right? It's a little spooky how we can fall into this. Ultimately, what happened here, the, the foundational, foundational switch is we go from biblical Christianity to modern humanism. Tony already talked about this, modernism. We believe there's a truth, but we use our logic and we use our pre-made uh, virtue to, to realize that. And so this is, this is where public education starts. This is why public schools are government funded and government regulated, because they're trying to provide this human right or provide this service for these people that have a human right. This is where it comes from. And so I want to talk a little, another thing I want to talk about then is, okay, well, where does this end up? If we disconnect our worldview from scripture and from biblical Christianity, and we say, okay, now the purpose of education is, is man-centered, right? Man is perfectible. The purpose of education is about humankind, and the need for education is about humankind. Well, when we start defining reality and truth by our own terms and thinking we can reach that truth, we go a little crazy, okay? We are no longer living in a modern humanism, we are living in, well, here's another development. We, we get to postmodern humanism. So now it gets even more fun, okay? What's the nature of truth if you're a postmodernist? There is no truth. It's defined by what you experience. Your truth is defined by your race, sex, gender, your upbringing, your experiences. And so we need to tolerate all of these truths, capital T. I have my truth, you have your truth, and... I'm not going to impose my truth on your truth, but we need to just tolerate each other and coexist. And if someone has, you know, if we're teaching math this way, if we're teaching literature this way, well, it's just because that group has the power, right? This is why math is racist. Because the way we teach math, the way we learn math is just was developed by a bunch of white guys. And there's a bunch of other ways you can do math. There's other... There's, there's other truths out there. The way we, the, you know, we read Shakespeare just because of white culture, you know, but there's other stuff out there that's important. And I'm, I'm not saying there isn't other stuff, but we start to attack everything. The reason education is the way it is is only because of power. And there's this power struggle among all these group identities. This is your, this is your critical theory, critical race theory. All of that is where this comes from. If you're postmodern, man is inherently good. We're defined by our experiences. You're either oppressed or you're an oppressor, right? And it's not based on your individual decisions. It's not based on your choices. It's just what group you're in. What race are you? What gender are you? What sex are you? That's what defines who you are. And that's your experience. We, we're almost losing individuality here. So then if in education, the purpose of education is to instill tolerance for all of these truths, quote unquote, and enable oppressed groups to have more power and voice in the culture. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Now, a lot of us like to say we're in a postmodern era right now. I think we're kind of actually moving past this. So I have another slide that kind of tells, kind of indicates where we are now. Um, 
this is not a technical term, I just made this up because I don't know what to call it, okay? So for lack of a better term, post-postmodernism or neo-pagan humanism, okay? What do I mean by this, okay? It's still humanism, it's still all about man, it's all about us, okay? But we're not, we're past tolerance. When I look at the culture, I don't see people saying, we need to just get along, we need to all chill out. That's not what I hear, okay? So the nature of truth and this is where I see our culture now, is what I desire is what's true. Who I love is what's true. How I identify is what's true. And that's it. And not only is it, it's not what I desire, but I'm defined my, by my desire. I identify this way, and if you reject that, if you say I'm not what I identify as, you're attacking me. And if you're attacking me, I have the right to attack you back. We're gonna cancel you, we're gonna get you fired, we're gonna send you death threats, right? This is, this is all the chaos we're seeing in our culture because we're past, oh, we just need to get along and now it's like paganistic tribes of like, no, you're with us or you're against us. And so the, the culture war is very explicit right now. And so now the purpose of education is, well, you need to explore and figure out what you want. You need to find your truth. So when you're in kindergarten, we're going to teach you about all these different sexualities and all these different things you could maybe desire. And we're going to explore that with you at the ripe old age of five years old. And we're going to show you all of this stuff so that you can explore and realize your truth. This is what happens when we define truth and we define morality on our own terms instead of what God says, okay? So all of us are like, feeling like we're tense, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we should be tense. This is serious stuff. This is where our culture is. It's a real problem, okay? Palate cleanser. What's God, what's the word God's, word of God say? <laughs> let's, let's go back to scripture, okay? It's like, what does God say about education? What's the purpose of all of this? Okay, let's not forget, we're talking about education. Education systems uphold, reflect the values of the culture in which they exist. What are God's values? What are God's beliefs, so to speak? What does God tell us to believe? What are God's commands? Okay, well, let's ask him. What's the nature of truth? Or maybe a better question is, who is truth? Truth is not what I come up with based on my logic and my scientific experiments or my whatever, uh, philosophy, Christ is truth, period. And I am accountable to that, whether I want to submit to it or not. I have scripture references to prove it. Okay. <laughs> what is the nature of the learner? Ooh, next one, okay. Well, the first thing we need to keep in mind, our children, our students in school, they don't define who they are. Christ defines who they are. And if we go all the way to the very beginning of the Bible, they're made it in, in him, his image. They re reflect something that's greater than themselves and what they want when they want it. There's a higher purpose than ourselves that God has placed us in. God gives us unique gifts and talents. Not every kid's the same. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, right? We all submit. We all have the same Jesus in us, the same Holy Spirit. But education doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all thing. 
There's lots of exciting adventures that God has for your child, for your student. There's lots of amazing things that God wants us to do in the world. And education gets to be a part where we get to develop that and invest in that. That makes me really excited. Okay. Those are some good, exciting things. Here's the not so exciting thing. Your kid's a sinner. Hate to break it. I'm a sinner. Okay. And we are born depraved. We need Jesus to save us. And no amount of education and logic can reverse that. Okay, there's two things I want to say about this. When I say sinner, for now, I mean two things. We're carnal. We have a sin nature. Okay, Galatians says the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. We all know what it is. Okay? But another thing that happens when we are, before we're saved, without the um, salvation of God, the renewing of our mind, even if we know the truth, we reject it anyway. I want to actually read some of these scriptures. Um, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So even if I educate and tell you all the right things, in your fleshly carnal self, we will reject and suppress the truth without God's grace. For what is, can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his individual, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And so that's Romans one. We have to factor that into our education. We have to factor that in. And, and our public system assumes that your kid is good and we're gonna educate with those assumptions. We're gonna discipline with those assumptions. So what does God say about education? When you talk about education, um, the verse that comes to mind is if, uh, Ephesians 6.4. Um, there's the Deuteronomy passages that Tony and David have already talked about. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's Ephesians 6, 4. Other translations say, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I was listening to a pastor talk about this, and he talks about the, the Greek word for the discipline or the instruction of the Lord is padeia. And what that word means is the total education, the upbringing. And so what what Paul is writing here is bring your kids up in the upbringing of the Lord. And, and a, another way you could say that is acculturation or inculturation. How do I make you a part of this culture? So if I'm born in Athens in, or if wherever Ephesians happens, sorry, I don't know. I need to go learn that. It's like, okay, you're in our culture. These are the holidays we celebrate. This is the language we speak. These are the clothes we wear. This is how we talk. This is what we honor. This is what we don't honor, Right? So if you're born into a Christian culture, God's kingdom, this is what we value. This is what we believe. This is how we talk. This is how we respect authority. This is how we steward God's creation, right? All of that cultural upbringing is what the education is about. So if I were to boil it down to like one sentence, what is the purpose of education? It's to raise up young people into God's culture. 
education is about creating culture. That's what we're doing. And we're not creating our culture. We're establishing God's kingdom on earth. And so as a part of that process, we need to know God. We need to love God. We need to obey God. It's not just a culture, it's a kingdom with a king. And so we don't get to do this our way, we need to do it his way. I just cited the whole book of Deuteronomy there. <laughs> I've, been, I've been studying Deuteronomy, I've been listening a lot, okay? If you boil down the, the message of Deuteronomy, it's listen to God and obey him. And along the way, you get to love him. And that's with everything. That's basically what we're doing in education. Know God, love him, obey him. Um, I wanna read these. Uh, Psalm 1-2 says that, says that his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This is, this is the culture that we live in. We love God's ways. We love his culture. We love his commandments. We love who God is. We have that wonder that we've been talking about. We're called to have dominion and wonder and stewardship for God's creation. Math is important. We need to know how the world works. Engineering is important. Literature is important. We are supposed to go out. We're, we're doing breakout sessions, right? Called to the worship arts, called to government, called to foster care, called to all the other breakout sessions. That is you guys having dominion and stewardship over God's creation. There are skills that are part of doing that well and doing it God's way. Education factors into that. Our kids need to know these things so that we can go out and establish his kingdom, not just in this building, but in the whole culture. We're building a culture, right? We're building, we're establishing God's kingdom. We're called to spread the gospel. We're called to value excellence. There is a right and wrong way to do it. No, you did do that math problem wrong and we're gonna do it right. Your transition words in this essay, your transition sentences, those are sloppy. Let's do this right, okay? When God had the Israelites build the temple, he wanted them to do it well. Excellence matters. The Christians in our culture should be the most skilled at everything. We should have the best music, the best art, the best poetry, the best movies, the smartest mathematicians, the coolest smartphones, you know, the, the most efficient cars. Like we should be the best at everything because we represent the God who invented it all and the God in which all the treasures of wisdom are stored. We should be setting the tone because we're reflecting and upholding God's values. And God says all of this to parents. And I like what David mentioned too, that he says it to a nation. We are responsible for this. The government is not responsible. We are responsible to God to live and educate our kids according to his ways. Okay, all of this is said to parents. Parents are responsible for educating their kids. Are you responsible for teaching your kid calculus? No, you're responsible for teaching your kid that stuff. Can you teach your kid that stuff? I think you can. 
And if you can't, David just gave you like 20 books you can go read and <laughs> figure it out. Or there's the Bible, you know, that's also helpful. Okay, God doesn't say, go, go learn calculus, go learn chemistry, start here. This is what education is about. We're building a culture. All the other stuff is details. Okay, important details, but details nonetheless. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do about public education? We've looked at the definition of public education. We looked at the history just a little bit. We looked at what scripture says. Let's try to put this all together. Okay, I'm wrapping up here. Well, we need to keep in mind, if educational systems reflect and uphold the values of the culture in which they exist, then Christian education should reflect and uphold the values of the kingdom culture in which it exists. We just saw that on the blue slides. So what do we do about public education? Can you have Christian public schools? You can have Christians in public schools, but is it God's idea that education is government regulated? Was it God's idea that we should be funding it with local property taxes? Was it God's idea that we need to raise up kids so they can vote for the right president when they grow up? That's not what I saw. So this is something we need to take, take seriously. Again, I'm talking broadly. I'm talking big picture. The church, capital C, should be building education in our nation according to God's way. And from the very beginning, public education as, a, as the administrative framework, the funding, the regulation, who's in charge and what it, what's it for, all the way back to Horace Mann is not on a biblical foundation. And it's been sliding along with our culture because our culture bought into modern humanism, secular humanism. And so our culture has been sliding and dragging the educational system with it. Okay. Now, is that to say, I mean, I teach in public school, so is that to say we shouldn't even step foot in those buildings? Or should we get our kids out of there? You probably should get your kids out of there. Is it possible for you to go through a public education system and turn out okay? Yes, it is possible, okay? Daniel was in Babylon for crying out loud and I say he turned out okay. But is that God's design? Is that what we should be building? If I'm a young Christian and I'm like, I wanna start a school, do I wanna go start a public school or do I wanna start a school God's way, right? So I'm talking, I'm talking big picture, big vision here, okay? And if I'm in a public school as an adult, as a principal, as a teacher, I view that as missionary work. And over the last couple of years, I've, I've just been experiencing a lot of dissonance and like, man, the discipline structure, the things I'm supposed to say and not say, there's a real friction here with what my values are. And this is gonna get very interesting. And personally, I feel like my days are numbered and how long I can invest in that system. But can you teach in a public school for 30 years and have your whole career there and work and, and see that as missionary work, reaching the lost? Absolutely. Please do that. Okay, I'm not telling us all to not evangelize, not share the gospel, not be salt and light. But I'm just talking about, well, what should we be building? What should the church be building? So then, well, what should we be building? Should we all homeschool? Should we all church school? When I look through scripture, I don't see one prescribed administrative model. I see values and mindset and loving God as, as principles and values, but I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. 
I don't think a church school is the only way to obey God. It can be a really good way to do it. It doesn't have to be the only way. And so we can argue about, well, homeschool and church school, private Christian school, and I don't know, this and that. And this is the question we need to ask. As long as we can answer that question correctly with all the logistics, then I think we'll be okay. So um, there's a lot to unpack here. I feel like all of those could be like a whole talk in of its own. Um, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, I have lots of resources that I've been going through, tons of books, videos, podcasts, websites. If you wanna learn more about this, these are the ones I recommend. I've read and looked at a lot more other stuff that didn't make the list. Um, but yeah, oh, is that? Oh, yes, I have a podcast where I'm talking to people about that. <laughs> um, there's a, lot, there's a lot to go on here. I don't have all the answers for this. I have not figured all of this out. I'm just passionate. I'm, I'm trying to obey God. And so there will be a Q&A and we'll have some conversation, but please come grab me. I'd love to talk to you over lunch, talk to you over dinner. I'd love to exchange contact information and continue conversations with you guys. This is an ongoing conversation that the church needs to be having broadly. And I think there's a lack in what this conversation looks like. So let's talk. There you go. Thanks, guys. And these guys did a good job, didn't they? Yeah. Da uh, David and Daniel, I mean, it was excellent. We're going to take a 10-minute break. Okay, 10. Everybody say 10-minute. 10 10-minute 10 break so we can set up the stage in terms of the Q&A. If you have questions and you have not sent them to Amy yet, please do that. Or if you're going to write them down on a piece of paper and give it to her. She's moderating this next section, so make sure she has your questions. And she'll be asking those to the panel, basically. So 10 minutes, okay? We'll call back together. All right, we are going to start our Q&A panel, so you can find your seats. It's getting quiet, so we'll get ready to start here. As we get started, Amy's going to moderate this for us, and I appreciate that much. We have another person up here who did not do one of the sessions, and uh, the reason was because of his schedule. I didn't, uh, he was scheduled for tomorrow morning, and I think, or afternoon, in terms of a call to be, I believe, is one yeah. of the things. So, And it's like when I found out he couldn't do that, and it's like I said, well, I for sure want him on the panel, because... You know, Ed is a, uh, a principal in Monroe City Public School. And if there's ever a place that a Christian's going to have a target on his back, <laughs> it's like, and, and knows the ins and outs of th some things going on, I said, you know, uh, th this, th this would be the place. And Ed Talton, you know what, is doing a great job. And there's a, just think of the pressure. I mean, how many of you want to be a volunteer to be a principal in, in a public school today after what you just heard from Daniel? <laughs> I was like, man, you got to know that you're a missionary in this situation and in this age to be able to do that. But it's like, we still need a moral voice in public education. Yes. I mean, it's like, it's one thing to sow your kids into it. I get, it's like, yeah, that's what, but it's like, should we have missionaries? Should we have voices into it? It's like, well, don't we want to have moral voices into business? Business is yes, corrupt. Yes, yes. Don't we want to have them in, into government? Well, yes. government's pretty corrupt. It's like, we, Christianity, the kingdom should have a moral voice into everything going on to affect culture. Right. And that could be arts or government or business or education or whatever else. And that's different than saying, well, I'm going to give my kids into a system that way. So there's, there's different things here. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to Amy. She's moderating, and she will lead us from here. Ed, good to have you with us. Thank you. Appreciate Glad it. Glad to be here. All right. Hello, everybody. So the link to the Q&A is still up here. 
If you don't have a question, you can also go in and upvote other people's questions. So if you see a question in there that you think, hey, I really hope they answer this, um, if you upvote it, it goes to the top of my list and then I will be more likely to ask it. We have more questions than we have time, um, but hopefully we will be able to get to a lot of these. All right, so the first question is gonna go to you, David. All right, so you talked about in your talk um, helping struggling parents. This question says, how do you come alongside struggling parents who really need the help but seem shut off to any thought of there being better ways to raise children? One of the ways I would suggest to do that is by building a relationship with those parents, inviting them into your home, letting them be around you, see you, and being able to see the culture you're talking about with your own children. Um, the more they're around, the more they begin to soften and see, and it gives you a doorway then in to be able to say, you know what, let me help you here. Be, you've seen what my kids do. They're not perfect. Let me help you as well, because these things do work, and this is how I'm helping my kids. Um, or finding others that they will open up to. Sometimes it may not be me, but I put them with a life group leader. I put them with someone else that I know they have a relationship with that can open that door and begin to speak into it. All right, next question for our panel here. As a church with a church school, where not all of our kids are able to come to the school, how do we ensure that we foster relationships between kids in and out of the school? Um, I guess the first thing I would have to ask in that question is, is why aren't they able to come to the school? Um, as a church school, we work very hard to make sure anybody that wants to be a part, that's a part of our church, is in the school. We have scholarships for that reason. We have families that give to include those kids in our school. So I guess that would be the first place I would start. Um, outside of that, things like youth group, children's church, those things all helped to bring those kids in and tie them together um, we have some kids that are in public school or in other places that are in our youth group, and they connect there um, and build those relationships. So, All right, next question is for Tony. If you want to pass the mic down here. Okay, this is the question that has the most upvotes here. Um, many of our children grew up in a Christian home, in the church, in 12 years in our school, only to leave with resentment and to walk away from the faith. Please respond to that. Yeah, you know, that's... That is a difficult situation. And it's like, I hope that people would hear the fact that there are no guarantees, no guarantees that because we have a church school that every child that goes through it is going to turn out the way you want them to, okay, or the way God would like to have that happen. I wish that would be true, but uh, I still believe in the fact that people have a free will. And people, uh, children have to at some point give their lives to Jesus and a variety of things that go on. We can help that in many ways. We can have a, a loving environment around to, to facilitate that. And it's like uh, it would be a wrong thought back to the depravity of man situation. It's like our, our children are sinners and they have to bow their knee at some point. And it's like those of you who have been parents that have watched your children maybe struggle. And then they, I mean, I just know with my own, it's like there were times where I thought, man, it's like if God doesn't come into this child's life, we're in trouble, you know? And it's like, uh, and so, but God helps us and works with us. And it's like, in my case, it's like, 
I saw that happen, and I saw the change in the heart of my child and, and children, and they gave it that way. It's like so. I think that there, there is there is a difference in terms of just because it's a quote Christian home, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Okay, and so, so to some people, Christian home means we go to church on Sunday and Wednesday nights, and that makes us a Christian home. So you know, there's all of that involved with it too, in terms of it's. That's why David's saying there's a lot of resources, a lot of things that we need to we need to see things together, work together with our children. It's just, it's a very complex in some ways situation in terms of how children turn out. But all I can say is that I believe that if we share resources and share life together and, and look after each other's children and realize the fact that we're always learning. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I hope that you're collecting. I hope you have all those books that David talks about and more. I, I, I personally, I have a shelf in my library and it's just about raising our children for God. You know, I have another one about marriage because it's like marriage is important and it's like I, I, I want to learn more about marriage. I want to have a great marriage and successful marriage. I want to I read things that, I want to explore things that people have written. Well, same thing with raising my children for God. I want to hear what other people have done and, and wrote about and, and suggested as ideas and it's like that's why we're sharing those resources. So, so I, I, I do go back to the fact that don't give up if they haven't turned out the way you thought. And don't feel condemned over that because it's not over. It's not the it's not the end of the whole situation. And, and that verse that talks about raise a child, you know, and and when he grows old, he won't walk away. And it's like people do come back. I mean, or, or if they weren't there in the first place, that children have changed. God, 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 God works in people's lives. I mean, I've seen some very, and maybe you have too. I've seen some situations that you wonder. It's like, will this person ever return? Is this ever going to happen? They could be the black sheet of the family and things like that. I have some more personal things in my own life about people I've known and family members and stuff. And you know what? Uh, I've seen God move in a miraculous ways. In, in miraculous ways. Answer. I know my, my uh, I, have a, I have an uncle and uh, my grandmother prayed for her son who was... Uh, Prayed and 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 uh, it's, you know how this thing about praying and I'm taking too long, but praying and, and prayed through and said, you know what? I've heard God for burning my son, and and God has assured me He will be saved. And she died and went to the grave with that promise. And and my my my, uh, my uncle, uh, seventy years something old, out in Pensacola, Florida, and a pastor and his wife moved next to him, and befriended him and shared the gospel with him, and he got saved. I go, you know, God hears our prayers. Amen. Amen. All right. Our next question is for Ed and Daniel. Uh, Ed, sorry. Um, how do you get away with believing this stuff <laughs> without getting fired? Um, do other people you work with know that you believe this way? Um, so I would say that this kind of depends on your local situation. There's a lot of variation in public school culture across the nation. Part of the reason why I can even survive in public school is because I'm in this particular public school in this community, which is actually a pretty great school to work at, all things considered. Um, I work for a great administration that has my back and looks out for me. Um, I have parents that believe in discipline and don't just say, my child's perfect and what's wrong with you, Mr. Floyd? So, so there's some values there that are workable. Um, if I was, if I was in the Fresno church, like I would not even try to work in a public school. Like the culture there is so far gone and different than this co local culture that it wouldn't even work. Um, on the other hand, I will say it is very obvious. Um, 
I don't just teach and blend in. I, you know, I don't go, oh, we're doing this problem. And by the way, have you heard about the Jesus? You know, I don't bring that up in the middle of class. Um, but during lunch, after school, it, it comes up and kids will ask me. I had a hilarious conversation where kids were like, wait a second, you're a Christian and you teach science? And it just like blew their mind that like I wasn't just like this raving atheist um, and I teach science. And so like I got to have a conversation about it. And the reality is if the kid brings it up, I can have a conversation with them. Um, it becomes an issue when I start preaching um, at them, you know, they're, they're a captive audience and there's a power, you know, a power difference with the teacher and the student. And so as long as I'm not trying to preach at them, if I just be myself and have conversations as they come up, um, I'm confident that, um, you know, it'll be okay. But on the other hand, I don't know, like I've also, like just this week I got asked to hang up a, a poster for the GSA club, the Gay Straight Alliance club, where they talk about sexuality and all of that. And it kind of caught me off guard where it was like, Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I'll hang that poster up maybe over there in my classroom. And I've already felt convicted of like, no, you do not, I, I do not need to affirm that. And so I probably need to go have a conversation, say like, Hey, I appreciate you asking me to hang up this poster, but I'm, I'm probably going to take it down and just be honest about that. And if I take flack for that, I have to be prepared for that. And so there's wisdom in how we navigate in that space. Um, but due to my local situation, I can survive and be myself and be authentic. The day that I have to um, compromise my values or I'm put in a situation that professionally is just not tenable where I'm fighting against parents and kids and the administration and everyone's against me, it's like, I'll just leave at that point. So it does depend on the local situation. I agree with that, with the local situation. I do believe in every local situation. There is a person that is in your church probably that God has put something in to go into those places. That's how much God loves those sons and daughters in those places because yeah. he does have compassion. And I'm reminded in Jonah that in Jonah's day, he was told to go down to Nineveh. Yeah. And so many times that people think that he didn't go because he thought the people was going to get mad at him. No, he didn't want to go because he knew that God was going to have compassion and forgive those people. And so I'm reminded when I go into those places that, you know what, God's sending me there, and he does have compassion, and that he wants those people set free. And because of that, you know what, I'm willing to go because I want to see people set free. And for the uh, do people know, well, they knew what they was getting when they got me. Uh, I don't hide that, but I don't, I don't bash people either. I get to know their story. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very diligent listener and listen to, we have some people that, uh, transgender trying to be, uh, that, and I'll bring them in my office and talk to them wow. just to know their story. You need to know their story before you start preaching Jesus to them because you know what? You run them away. So I was always taught you don't clean a fish before you catch it. You catch the fish, <laughs> then you clean it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question is for David. Um, all right, you talked about in your talk with parenting, having other people involved. Is it okay to approach others and ask for them to invest in the lives of your into your child's life? Or is it better to wait for other people to show initiative in investing in your kid's life? If you're a parent, go find people. <laughs> Don't wait. Yeah. Go find people. Here's why. 
people can help you with your kids. Can I tell you, you should also pick your kids' friends. <laughs> you need to go look at, oh, that family's got char- the characters of loving God and their children. I'm going to put my kids with them. Help your kids. Be proactive and go after it. Don't just wait. Yes, sh- should we be reaching out? Yes, but don't wait on that. Go get it so you're not behind or so you're not struggling. And you have, you know, if you see the pastor's wife and the pastor and their family's doing really good, or you see another family over off in the corner and their family's doing really good, go say, hey, could I hang out with you? Because we should be wanting to live life together enough that that shouldn't be a problem. We should be welcoming each other in our homes and doing stuff. Awesome. All right. Uh, Daniel, I'll have you take this. This is a two-part question, so I'll read both parts. Um, Our schools are lacking in quality education. Most students don't finish college, or percentage-wise, most do not actively walk with God. What are we missing? Daniel was effective because of his academic training, and if we're missing that piece, are we setting our kids up to have no real impact on the culture around us? Part of... Part of the slide in academics in our nation is tied to the slide of cultural values is the way I perceive it. And so if I view kids as being inherently good, if I don't believe that there is um, an absolute truth, then that plays out in how I discipline the kids and how I educate them. So it sounds like this ed- this question is geared toward like the excellence of academics and higher achievement or? Yes. I. Th- think in regards to church schools and not necessarily public Oh, not schools. public schools. It doesn't say that, but that's my assumption. Okay, uh, in church schools. Yeah, either way. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it right. I mean, that's kind of the, the short kind of um, curt way of saying it. Um, there, it, it is a problem in my perspective that if, we, if I'm educating my kids in Christian values, that is the most important. And I mean, if I had to choose whether they learn math or whether they love Jesus, um, then like, I want you to love Jesus. Um, but I can't pretend I'm going to provide this service. And, you know, if you're going to give me your kids and I'm, and I'm saying, I'm going to teach them chemistry, then I need to teach them chemistry. And so I think it's important for whether you're homeschooling, whether you're church schooling, if you're going to go open up a private Christian school, you need to deliver on just the practical market services that you are providing, that if you're going to teach these kids with excellence, um, that you need to do that. And I don't think, I don't think it's biblical to say we love Jesus, but we have low standards for academics. I don't think it's biblical to say that. Now, it's okay to say God has not gifted me with academic or with math or something. You know, it's like individually, I understand that. But broadly speaking, I don't think that we should hold this idea that, well, we just need to love Jesus and then we don't need any professional skills. We don't need any training along those lines. Like that, that does matter. And establishing the kingdom has a practical level to that. And if you're in a situation homeschooling where it's like, I don't know how to teach my kids math, or maybe in a church school or a private school, it's like, oh, they're really struggling in this academic area. Like we should be talking about that and figuring out how we can improve that. Um, Because yeah, this idea of family and excellence are not contradictory. We can be the family of God who is also excellent. Add a comment. I think this is it's a little bit of pushback, so just allow me if you would. It says Daniel was effective because of his academic training. I, I, I you know what? I, I don't think so. 
I just push back on that one. I go, he was effective. The thing that saved his neck was his relationship with Jesus. <laughs> it was like, it's like if he hadn't gone to God and heard, figured out what that dream was, it's like he was all over at that point. And the fact that he looked good when they brought him in and they say that there's something different about him, I think there's something different about him because he had walked with God. And it wasn't because he was like the smartest guy in the class. There's no, no evidence about that in the Bible that he was the smartest. It's just that there, you can have people who walk with God throughout the Bible, a variety of people, and it's like, you know, they may not have had all the education or whatever else, but they were recognized and they had a, they had a, a walk with God that brought them before people, before kings and a variety of things because of their walk with God. So I'm not against excellence, and I think that we've turned out, I mean, I think Daniel went to college here. My boys had scholarships, and it's like, so I think our Christian school, church schools can do well and should always. We don't give up one, but I go, I think the key issue with, with, with Daniel and his friends is that their walk with God had impact into a, a, a terrible culture. God was walked with them and gave them wisdom and favor and raised them up because of their walk with God. And so both things are important. So. Well, to you, Tony, since you're kind of mentioning college, there's a question here that says, how do we prepare our kids for college when they're raised and educated solely in the context of the church or a church school? Is it a sink and swim nest kick or is that what's intended? How do you raise kids for college? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there's this idea that we, we raise our kids in a bubble if we have them in a church school. And I go, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. I mean, I think that when your children are young, you need to protect them as you're raising them. Protection is part of what we do. As they get older and they have the maturity to be able to handle discussions at different levels, we begin to train them, okay? But there's not a magic age for that. It's like, I don't, it's like what, at what age do I begin to talk to them about sexuality situations? So I go, well, some children are ready for that at 12 and some are not ready to 15, you know? Uh, it's getting younger and younger, I think, in the society because things are coming up that way. But it's like, it's not one size fits all when you start to have discussions about things. But in our Christian church schools, it's like, that's why David was talking about biblical worldview training in our school at all levels and things. We're trying to prepare them so that they do understand the things that are going on in the nation, the culture that's around, that, that, that they'll hit when they go to college if that's where God wants them to go. Or you know what? They don't, may not go to college. I mean, what if they become electricians or plumbers or specialists in some other area or whatever else? It's like the world is still out there in all those places, and we need to get them ready for that and help them understand when you go to this job and you work at the mechanic situation, this is what you're going to run across. You know, If you go work at Starbucks at Hy-Vee, this is what you're going to run across. And you'll have opportunities to talk to people. And so how do we get them ready for it? So, yeah, we should not, it's not a sheltering as if they'll, they'll go out in the world and they'll hit it and, and be confused by it. That's why all these resources David was talking about in terms of we need to get them ready for it. But it is age appropriate in terms of maturity. So hope that helps. Ed has come in. So. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, for his parents, uh, a lot of times we teach them how we interact with people on a daily basis. That's the best that's the best teaching aspect of it. Now we know that there's a lot of conversations that they cannot be part of, but just how we interact with people that may not look like us, may not uh, walk the way we walk, but how we interact with them teaches them how to interact. And so when they go off or go off to college or whatever, they know how to communicate with people. Now that's one thing, that's a skill and that the Holy Spirit will help you with how to communicate with people. 
I have a saying that I, I, I study people and I don't study to judge people. I study them to see what their tendencies are so that I find an approach how to come and talk to them. And that's something in the church that we need to be able to do and teach our kids how to do because they're trying to go. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28 to go. He didn't say stay in the church house. He says go. And so there's, there's, we've been commissioned to do that. And so we must be able to have those skills uh, and teach our kids those skills, how to interact with people. Uh, another thing that comes to mind with that idea is that sheltering our kids does not mean we don't talk about things. It shouldn't mean that. And another thing that I think goes with that is a lot of times we have this tendency to think like, oh, I put them in the church school so that they're safe from the world. It's like, well, we just established the world is in your kid. Your kid's a sinner. <laughs> your kid's going to be rebellious and lazy and prideful and all of the, like, that's in the church school yep. because all the kids are there. Yep. And the teachers are that way, too, because they're people. And, you know, hopefully less so because they've matured, you know, but, like, I, I get frustrated when we talk about how it's, like, it's bad out there and it's safe in here. It's like the snake came into the Garden of Eden. And so are we just going to be like, are we just not going to talk about that? Or are we going to train them and talk about the uncomfortable things and the sinful things and the worldly things in their life, but also out in the world? Are we going to have those conversations? We should be talking about sexuality with our kids at age-appropriate levels. We should be talking about drugs. We should be talking about crime and politics and, you know, transgenderism. And, like, we should be having all of those conversations in the church school according to God's standards, so that when they go to Truman, I don't know, Nate, did you have a friend in Truman that grew up Christian? He's like, did you hear? He like, like first week on campus at college was like, Nate, did you hear like everything we've been taught growing up was wrong? Like as if that's the first time in his entire life that he had been exposed to, there's other worldviews out there and there's other ideas. It's like, that is way too late. <laughs> to be being exposed to those ideas. And so the idea of a church school or raising kids up in the kingdom of God is not so that they never even know what's out there. It's so that, no, you're giving them little snippets of it. Yeah. A practical example, like literature class. Let's read all of these stories. Let's read about all these other cultures. Let's read about you know this gross stuff that happens in Shakespeare. And let's have a conversation about that what does God say about this? What does God say about history? What does God say about this gross stuff, you know, that happens in Judges and in the Bible? You know, it's like, we don't skip those chapters. No, we talk about them. And that is part of the training so that when they go out, um, they're not blindsided. And I don't know, like I was involved in the community growing up. Like I played soccer, I played sports, I interacted with those kids and like I'm getting exposure to interacting with people and I'm watching my parents interact and, and all of that as well. So it's all happening as you're growing up, and it just continues when you leave the nest, so to speak. Awesome. All right, David, um, you talked about maturity. So Daniel, though young, was very mature. How do we hold our kids to high standards of maturity, even at young ages? Do we set low expectations for children and teens? I think we buy into the society that kids can't do much that our teens are teens. I actually don't like teenage, the word teenagers. I like young adults because that sets a different bar in your mind. If you think of teenagers, I mean, society has built an entire business 
on funding teens being immature and having this and that one day and wanting this and that the next day. So we have to change what we expect. It's, we've begun to make changes even in our own school of, no, we're not just going to be like this. There's a certain level of respect that has to be in the classroom towards our teachers. There's a certain way of how we're going to walk through the building. There's a certain way we're going to care for the things that we have because we're teach, we're setting, we are setting our own bar in our own group higher because kids can do more. They will rise to what you expect, but if you only expect this much, don't expect them to rise to much beyond that. We have to realize our kids can do more. If you think about it, by... By junior high, some kids were married in the old days. <laughs> they were leading their own lives. Somewhere we've lost that we can expect more out of our young people than they, they do. It's one of the reasons there's a book called Do Hard Things. I like that book because, not, it may not be the greatest book, but I liked it because when I was reading it, it, real, it made me think of, Young people can do lots more than we ever give them credit for doing. That's why I said they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church today. They're the church right now. They can lead people to the Lord. They can have conversations if we train them. They can think from a biblical worldview and understand that our Bible is the truth. And that's what will set people free. Awesome. All right. For Ed. What are some tips that you have for public school teachers to be open to what they believe without being attacked or fired? Well, I'm just going to read this. And I just got this card the other day from a student. And I think it pretty much was sum up for teachers and staff members that do work in a uh, public school. It says, Dear Mr. Talton, I just wanted to say thank you from, for the, the Ground and Grace gift card. I also wanted to say that I appreciate, appreciate you as a person, teacher, principal. It's nice to have a principal that cares about the students and are interested in their well-being. Lastly, the Bible verse was very inspiring. God has never left my life, but I'm not a good follower anymore. The verse inspires me to get back into being and participate in being a Christian. It, I will always look up to you as a role model. Thank you. And here's what's the scripture. Remember your leaders who spoke of God's word to you. Imitate their faith as you consider the ways their lives turned out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Live it out in front of people. I mean, so many times as Christians, you know, what well, we want to beat people down and tell them what they're not doing. Just live it out and love on people. I'm reminded that as I look at Jesus, Jesus never beat a sinner down. He just never did. He wanted to draw them close to him and see that they were loved. And if you'll start loving on your kids over their faults and just loving on them, loving on them, I promise you, even the hardest cases that you have, those kids will come back to you and they will see Jesus. And somewhere down the road, I believe that they're going to give their life to Christ. So that I just, this is not about me, but... It was something that uh, brought me to tears the other day when I received this from this young lady. So it allows me to know and allows to tell the church, know what? <laughs> Don't be scared to go into those public places and be you. Okay? At the end of the day, to deny our Lord, man, man, what he's done for us. 
you know, I can't deny him. You can't deny him what he's done for you. And so, you know what, those kids are just uh, maybe a hug away from changing their whole life. So. All right. Um, Daniel, you talked a little bit about sports participation. So thoughts on teens attending public school to participate in sports, especially a teen that has a solid faith foundation and trusted, earned trust from a parent. Yeah, so this is, this is always the sticky thing where it's like, you're sending them to Babylon, but they're supposed to be missionaries. And they're, but like, oh, I don't know. The best way I can answer that is the last question that was on that slide is, am I upholding God's values and I, am I obeying God? So if you in your specific situation are raising your teen in such a way that they are living God's way, they know how to live God's way, they know how to navigate uh, a secular environment in that way, um, and you are having proactive conversations, proactive educating your kids, because that's who God says to educate the student is you, the parent, not the school, then there are situations where that can work. Um, but I just think we have to be able to call it what it is, is that you're sending your kid into um, an environment that is contrary to home life. And so you need to be actively involved, actively talking to your teen. Hey, what's going on? Hey, um, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Let's talk about that. And not just preaching to your kid and telling him, make sure you do this and make sure you do it. It's like asking questions. What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? What do you think about that? How did that make you feel? Like, let's, let's talk through this. So there are ways that it can work. Um, I th just like David said earlier when he was talking that it takes two, three times, four times more, I think, proactivity from the parents. And not every kid can handle that. Um, and, and so I think there's just some, you just have to be realistic about it. Just one comment to that also is that based on the blind spot issue, I would ask some other people that I'm close to and parents, it's like, do you help me make sure I'm thinking about doing this? Do you see anything in my, ch my child, right? Or my, that would be a problem here that I'm missing, you know, in terms of that issue. Because it is, maturity is different for every child at different ages. And so there's that side of it. So that's good, though. Yeah, can I just... yeah I mean, and, and yeah, the goal is not to keep our kids away from anything secular. Like, that's not the goal here. And so, I don't know, I just remember one time that was kind of funny when um, I think I was 18 and I really wanted to go play this three-on-three -three soccer tournament down in Columbia and my you know, parents were busy and it was like, okay, and I knew all these college kids, Truman kids, and they like had a house in Columbia and it's like, I'll, I'll drive down there and I'll just stay with them um, and do the tournament and come home. So I was 18, my parents trusted me. And so I went down and I just stayed in this house and this was like all these dudes and their girlfriends and we like played board games and they were playing gross music. And I just was there and I was like, I'm in this environment. I'm not compromising my values. I'm gonna go to bed on time. I go, I score all the goals for that team. And you know, <laughs> because I have the spirit of God in me and I, and the excellence of the kingdom was brought to bear in that weekend. And it was like, they played gross music, but I had brought my car. So then when I drove them around, I'm like, I'm playing my Jesus culture. Like you guys get to listen to this now. And so it's like, that was just like a fun weekend where it's like, I was just very embedded in just like this very gross kind of like college dude culture for a weekend. But it was like, I wasn't phased by it because I had the maturity and I had the upbringing to handle that. And now that's what I do in my job. Like we, we interact in the secular culture and I change the culture now. I set the tone because Jesus, Jesus just stepped in the room through me or I, you know, as his ambassador. And so, um, yeah, that is, 
definitely can happen. Yeah, we're not trying to run away. We're, we're setting the tone for culture. All right, David, um, you talked a little bit about your story as well in the presentation. This says, can you speak to the importance of spiritual mothers and fathers coming around single parents as they raise their children in the Lord? Are there specific strategies? I would say um, specific strategies. <laughs> we need to be the church. We need to love single mothers, single fathers. There are both, not just single mothers, but we see more single mothers. And you know what? They need help. <laughs> they need other fathers to come and help them with their kids. It's hard for a mother to be a father and a mother and to do dual duty all the time. And that's what you're asked, that's what they have to do in those roles is do double duty. They have to figure out how to balance. I'm mom, and these are my emotions and my feelings, but I also need to uphold this side of it that a dad would bring. And you know what? We should always be looking, how do we help um, life group leaders? If you have a single, single mom in your life group, life group leaders should go after them. They should help. Um, I think single moms should feel the freedom to ask. Hey, I need, could you get with my kid? I need help. <laughs> could you get with my kid this week? He needs a dad this week. He needs a dad fix. You know, he needs some men in his life to help him with throwing a football. I'm not going to be the one to throw the football with him. You know, proactive. If we see it, we should be going after it. Um, there are young men in our church and in our school who, we, in our school we have buddies. Okay, we, we have an older kid with a younger kid. We have buddies. And we do that intentionally to teach our older generation, our older kids, to give back to the younger generation. Okay? What that evolved into, though, is I have young men in the school and that are out of the school that go find kids and take them out for coffee and take them out for hamburgers or take them out to play basketball. And they get with those that don't have dads. That's one of the ways you can do that. Getting fathers involved, that's another way. But there, we have to be proactive and, and help them. You know, it's embarrassing sometimes for a single mom to, although I, I encourage them to do it, it is embarrassing and hard when they feel already uncomfortable for being single and being a parent to, to go say, hey, Daniel, can you take my kid, please? It's hard. So we should watch. We as dads should watch. We as young men should watch. College kids, go find some of these young guys and go spend time with them. Help them. Is that fair? Okay. You know, as, as David was talking, he's talking about mostly in church, but I'm also looking outside of the church. You know, in this situation, uh, one of the things being in the schoolhouse, I get to see single moms and single dads, who the kids are. We need spiritual fathers and mothers. Somebody, somebody's got to father them. Somebody's got to mother them. And you know what? And that's what I see one of my jobs is. I have over 260 sons and daughters. And that's what I call them. I don't call them students. When somebody, I just had an issue the other day with one of the girls and the young man said something inappropriate. I went to the young man and said, that's one of my daughters. Let's get this straight. And so, you know what? We need, don't, again, don't be afraid. If you have already raised your kids and you have raised them up already, 
go to a schoolhouse because you know what is Daniel was talking about, you know what, if you want to know the culture of your city, go to the schoolhouse. It'll tell you everything you need to know about your city. That's why God is putting boots on the ground over in those places because, you know what, we're supposed to come back to the church and say, hey, look over there. This is what's going over there. And then we'll know what, who and what to send over there to take care of that situation. So, All right. Um, I know a few kids who feel like God has called them to be lawmakers, and that is their mission field. How do we prepare them for that mission? I didn't specify. Anybody who wants to tackle that? Like Congress people or? <laughs> Lawmakers. So maybe government, maybe lawyers. I mean, love Jesus. And <laughs> I hope you like to read and write because that's what you're going to be doing all day. So I'll speak to it. Yeah. If you have kids that are interested and feel called in those areas, um, whether it's in the church school, or in a public school, begin to be proactive and find these are the next steps. These are the things to look at. This is the college we're going to go to. These are the classes they need in high school. One of the things I liked to do with our students that I've done is I tailor their high school experience as much as I can within what we have to help them find their next day. And so we have to be thinking, okay, who can I put them with? Like Rebecca is considering law. Okay, I don't know if that's where the question came from, but Rebecca is thinking about law. I'm already going, okay, who, what Christian lawmakers or lawyers do I know that I can get her in with by the time she graduates? Whether it's a lunch where she gets to ask questions or an internship or those kinds of things, because we need to help them find the right people, not just any people, the right people to influence what they're thinking and the direction they're going. So we keep them on course to serve God through those times. All right, for Ed here. Um, for children like those in the foster care system that are required to attend public schools, how can we as parents best pour some Jesus on their education? You're talking about uh, parents that have foster kids, right? Mm -hmm. Just be, be involved. Uh, the big thing is visit that school. Find out what the support system looks like. Uh, there's a majority of time, probably, majority of parents don't even come to the school. They just send them there, and then what they get is what they get. And so then we worried about, okay, well, what's going on? Why, why, why did this happen? Well, we never take time to find out what they're getting. Usually when parents show up at the school, it puts everybody on notice. Because nobody wants to be put on the Facebook and in Twitter. And so you, keep, you hold them accountable. Seriously. You hold, you hold them accountable. And I saw it as a, uh, a parent that is, has foster children, there's extra, probably extra needs that need to be met. And I happen to have a great uh, a staff, our counselors, that are there that we meet. We meet and we talk about situations. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times I'm telling the counselor, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. You know, we're, we're digging for the root right now. You know, we're not looking at all the symptoms, but we want to get to the root and find out. And I would say just show up there and keep bugging them, bugging them until you, you get what you need for those students. All right. Uh, Tony. Um... 
Some Christian parents don't like others getting involved in training their children. What advice would you have for them? Well, I think David did a good job illustrating that we have blind spots. And it's like, uh, by this time, you probably have already figured that out because it's, uh, somebody probably told you about something that your child did that you thought, my child wouldn't do that. <laughs> but they really did because, you know what, the, the, Jesus is not in their heart yet. <laughs> and so if you're thinking that, uh, if any of us think that our children is, uh, can be educated into p perfection or whatever that is, it's like, no, kids are sinners, man. It's like, I, I didn't have to teach my kids to be rebellious. I mean, they, they just, it's like, when they look at you and go, no. <laughs> it's like, where did you get that? You know, it's like, it is in the heart of a child, the Bible says. And you know what? And my experience is, the Bible is right on that. It is in the heart of a child. And so uh, we, we really need one another. Now, we don't need just everybody, okay? I, I, you, you, you need to be wise. You need to develop relationships with other parents that have similar, we all have similar, we have family values in our homes, okay? And so it, they're not contradictory, okay? So it's like my family values are not different than David Boss's family values or the Floyd family values. But, but we do things in our homes that are slightly different. So you need to develop the relationships with other parents to know what their family values are. You know, there may be something that, uh, that you would not let your children watch. It's not evil. And some other parent, they let their children watch it, you know, kind of thing. So you learn these situations. So I was careful about the children, the friends that my, David mentioned this, the friends that I would let my children be around. And so that's important. You know, I, for a while I lived in what's called an intentional community in Hartman. And in that community, there are people there who are there for various reasons, okay? <laughs> for help in a variety of things. And some of their children, uh, they, uh, their children could come to my house. I am not letting my children go to their house, okay? I, I figured that out. I go, we're like living in a mission field here. And if you were in a foreign country in a mission field, you would, pay, you would do things differently with your family and how you run it. And so to be wise, but there, like growing up in the, in the church here, man, there are so many friends and families that were here that I would push my children toward, or I would ask them, would you get with my child? I mean, be intentional. And I, I just recognized I needed that. This, this seems godly to me. The, the word of God is always talking about uh, me individually and us as a community. And that us as a community means there are things that as a community we need to do some stuff. And, you know, I'm not into this. It takes a community or a village to raise our children crazy stuff. I just, but it does take a church to, to make this work very well. And so I kind of hope that, that, that it's like, yeah, if you don't recognize that, I just tell you what, at some point you will. That you really, we really need one another. Yes. And, and we really do have blind spots, so. All right. Um, this question is not specifically for the panel, but it says we have the blessing of having international brothers and sisters in the room. Would there be a global perspective that they have on a Daniel generation that we can learn from for our cities? Wow. Anybody willing to answer so from an international perspective? I should give this from, to David. You have a global perspective. It's like, I don't know. I think it's too soon for us. And so we could learn stuff from people. Here's what I've learned so far. Okay. I go to the Philippines. It's a matriarchal society. Okay, you know what that means? It means w w women are in charge. <laughs> it's like, and that goes all the way down to a family structure where in the house, the guy does not wear the pants, okay? And so, so when we're over there and working with stuff, we, we work again. We just we say that is not a biblical, that is not a kingdom perspective of how family is set up. 
You know, God holds the husband in a different place of authority and responsibility. And, and uh, the kingdom is not a matriarchal society. And so it's like, I know that in our culture right now, patriarch, kind of, patriarchy and all that stuff it has this terrible connotation. And we, people push back. And I go, but you know what? This is, we're talking about kingdom stuff now. And yeah. <laughs> it, it may be an Eve that bit the, apple, bit, the, bit the fruit, but it's like all through the Bible, it always talks about the sin of Adam. <laughs> It's like so if you, you if you know who's who's responsible and who got the blame you know who was who was responsible in terms of who had the authority in the issue right and it was Adam Adam should have done better than that he was a responsible guy God hold him responsible and I go you know there's there is a there's a hierarchy in the kingdom of God there is headship and it, and that's like you, to to believe otherwise is just to go against the bible okay so this is how God structured it and within that structure of reality family life can work really well Wife is co- has covering for her. She can flourish and be what she's supposed to be. Children can be what they're supposed to be. It's like, so I, I, I don't know about uh, Sweden. And it's like, how you would build a, how you do school in Sweden, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> I guess, do you want to have a comment to that? It's like uh, international. I'm not sure how to learn from international at this point. It's, so I just, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. <laughs> I, I take Tony's line all the way through. I, I don't make bold statements until I've understood the culture. Once I understand the culture, I make very bold statements. So I've just been in Poland with my wife, which is totally matriarchal. And I carry a strong patriarchal message. But I have my wife with me to balance that so the women can see I'm not pushing them out of place. Actually, I'm trying to show them there's a better place and to call the men up. If you're in Scandinavia, the moment I started teaching that heaven is hierarchical, they were going ballistic because everything is flat. You would go into a boardroom. It would be the same in New Zealand. If you went into a boardroom, you'd never see one big chair and then smaller chairs around the table. The chairs would be exactly the same, totally around the table, and you couldn't tell who was responsible. And everyone has to have their say in a decision before a decision is made. So you have to learn, this is your culture, but actually you, you're supposed to be part of the kingdom. So you then teach kingdom culture and you replace it. I, I believe in replacement theology, replacing the culture theology of the country with the kingdom theology of the country. But it, it takes time and you can't go in there and be real clever and make clever statements. You've got to earn the right to speak to that. And you earn the right out of your own life, your own family, uh, the way you operate with the churches. But I can tell you, I get as much opposition in the churches as I would if I was out in the state in some of those flatter societies. All right. I think we are approaching the end of our time here. Are there any final thoughts or comments that any of you would like to share? Well, I would just say, you know, uh, for young people, church, listen to the young people. Listen to the young people. Sometimes we get a little bit grayer, a little bit balder, and we think that we know it all. God's talking to the young people. He's talking to them. And if you'll listen take time to listen to them. Yeah, they not, might not be able to put it all together, but if you'll listen, you'll be able to help them put it together. Yes. Because 
God has not forgotten about this generation of young people. I don't care what nobody has said. You know what they can say? Well, uh, this generation's done. No, 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 no. There's something in this generation that makes them so bold that if they can get turned on to Jesus, it would turn this planet upside down. And I'm watching and I'm seeing it every day. And I'm still praying for a spiritual earthquake at my school. I call it a spiritual earthquake. So young people, keep it up.